Wonderful. Uh, well, welcome back. I hope you were able to connect with a few people during the passing of the peace. Uh, I encourage you now to take your phones and turn them off and put them away. It's time for us now to transition to the reading of God's Word. And so if you have a Bible, take that out. We're going to be in Colossians 3 today. We have spoken to one another, and now it's time for God to speak to us, speaking through the inspired words of scriptures. And so as you're flipping to that passage, I invite you to also uh, bow your heads as we pray. God, bless the reading of your word and bless the teaching of your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to perceive. Open our eyes that we might see the wondrous things in your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And to help us with the reading of God's word, Carol. Today's scripture reading is taken from Colossians 3, verses 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Wesley Hill is the name of an author and academic in the United States. And a few years ago, he wrote an article for Comment Magazine in an issue about social isolation. And here's a quote from that article. He said this, As I enter my late 30s, almost all my close friends are married couples. My friendships with them are not, I hope, simply a next best substitute for not getting married. All I can say is that I feel a love for these friends that's not consumed with envy, and they seem to feel a love for me. Soon I'll be spending part of a sabbatical in the guest bedroom of a couple in Minneapolis. I expect most evenings during the months there will be filled with playing board games with their son and reading books to their younger daughters until they go to bed at which point the husband, wife, and I will make desserts, watch whatever British mystery show is popular at the time, and from time to time talk about things we really can't tell too many other people in the world. End quote. Well, we're looking these days at the resurrection life in the church community and asking what does it mean, what does it look like for the Christian community to live with the risen Jesus and his life in them and among them. What does it look like practically? And our passage today is about marriage and family. Now, from the outset, I want to ask this question, what does this have to do with single people? And I think in the quote from Wesley Hill, you can see it. A bit of backstory to that article is that in his early 20s, Hill came to accept that he could never marry a woman. And for him to fulfill his desire to marry a man, in one of his books, he said that that would go against his Christian conscience in a way that he could not accept. For him, through years of of painful loneliness, over time, he learned to find true intimacy in the families of his church. Because families uh, tend to put down roots wherever they are. They tend to stay and not just blow through town uh, after a few years. And he found in these families 
of his church community an open door for him to enter in and belong and to belong. Now, this is a sermon about marriage and parenting. But from the outset, we need to get this vision, the vision that, that for the life of the whole church, how it is in families is vital for the whole church, for every, every person. We need to see that. The big idea we've been seeing in Colossians up to this point is that Christ is risen. And that is not just something that you believe in your head. That is a power that is meant to transform your life and transform your, your day-to-day relationships and how you live and how you live together. So following that, we're going to get very practical today and we're going to talk about these two parts of life. How does the gospel shape two things? Marriage in Christ and child raising in Christ. First, marriage in Christ. I'd like to invite you to travel with me in your imagination into the ancient world. You're living in the Roman Empire in the province of Asia, which is the area of modern Turkey. And your life looks very different than how it looks in 21st century Toronto. If you're a woman, if you're past the age 14, if you're from a respectable family, then you're married, already married. Your husband is roughly 15 years older than you, and your day-to-day life is focused on managing the household. If you're a man, you have way more freedom in society. And here's the, the ancient view of women. Listen to this from the voice of an ancient Greek author. We have courtesans for pleasure, handmaidens for the day-to-day care of the body, wives to bear legitimate children, and to be a trusted guardian of things in the house. And the Colossian church, the Colossian church is made up of a lot of families from this culture. That's their baseline. That's where they're coming from. Now, the gospel comes to this city, Colossae. Some people begin to gather. They begin to listen week after week. What do they hear? What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is good news. It's good news about Jesus Christ himself. It is the love of God come into the world in Jesus. It's the love that led him, the Son of God, to lay his life down, to literally lay his life down and to die upon the cross for his beloved, for his bride. Now that gospel came into this ancient culture. And what happened? How did it impact the view of marriage? You see the impact. You hear it in these words. Listen. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, would it surprise you to hear that right away, that's a progressive word? It is. We have, in writing, other household codes from the ancient world. And most of them say this. They they say something like, Husbands, subdue your wives. They don't even address the wives. They don't. 
But what's even more astonishing is that this text says, husbands, love your wives. And there is not another household code in the entire ancient world that commands husbands to do that. That did not occur to anybody that that was a good idea. It doesn't exist in the surrounding culture, not even on the radar. But here's what you see. The gospel has entered into this culture and without violence to the culture, the gospel redeems marriage. And that, that male dominance at the center of the household, that is changed by the love of Christ into a leadership that is self-giving, that is a leadership centered on the good, not of the self, the good of the other. Now, Paul is writing into a patriarchal culture. The idea that a husband should lead in the family, should lead in marriage, was there was no controversy around that idea. What about today? Do we need this idea? And you talk to anyone on the street, and the answer is no, definitely, definitely not. Um, let's get rid of that. No, and, and that's what our culture decided, of course, a long time ago, decided to get rid of this uh, notion in Western culture. Well, the gospel has got a countercultural message to our culture today. And the message is this. Christian husbands have a God-given role to fulfill in marriage, and it's a role of leadership. Ten years ago, Jess and I were going through a premarital counseling, and we read a book that's titled Fit to be Tied. I'd like to share a quote from there. When they're dating, a man throws all his energy into the pursuit. He gives all his creativity, his passion, his imagination to win her heart. And if he's successful, she gives him her heart. But then he does something sinister and cruel. Once he's won her heart, once they're married, a change happens. He decides he's going to make a buck or two, or write a book or two, or plant a church or two and she is left behind. She, now she's standing there, wondering what happened. She gave her heart away, and now she's left behind. Now that book was published in 1991. And how's it going today? Have we made tons of progress on this point? Are we radically different? I think we're not. I think that our culture today has a crisis of absent husbands. Of course, some literally walk away. They leave their partner. They walk out of the home. But far more common is the respectable man who sleeps next to his wife every night, but he has abandoned her for his work. And any time there's a conflict between his work interests and her interests, work wins. Any time. It's always more important 
Other respectable men abandoned their wife for hobbies and interests. And so he spends hours every week alone on video games and YouTube videos. Once the work hours and the family duties are done, his hobbies get the priority after that. To those men and to me among those men, God is saying, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And it doesn't just mean have this emotion. No. It means leadership. It means that you take initiative. It means you grow a vision for her complete well-being, body, soul, and mind. It means you grow a vision for how you're going to seek the kingdom of God together and a vision for how you're going to love your neighbors around you together. Husbands, here's the application. You shape that vision, of course, in dialogue with your wife. Shape that vision. Initiate that process to shape that vision. And once you get that vision, you lay your life down to make it happen. You go after it. You make yourself a blessing in her life the way that Christ is a blessing in the life of his church. Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. So husbands, you spend yourself. You let this be your highest priority. And that means that sometimes you do inferior work in your job. Sometimes you disappoint your manager rather than disappoint your wife. Sometimes your hobbies stay on the shelf because you have got a calling and you are going to love this woman whom God has entrusted to you and lay your life down for her and love her and lead her. Now, for some men hearing this, you're saying to yourself, I'm not, I'm not checked out. I lead my family. And that's good. But... There's a warning here in the text. Listen, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The word harsh could be translated embitter. Do not embitter your wives. For you men, this is the message that you need to hear. Do not domineer in your marriage. I mean, don't run roughshod over her interests and her preferences. Don't do that. You have a strong personality, and you have a strong vision. And in your strength, you have overbearing tendencies. And your wife is frustrated because you're always right, and it's always your way. To you, God is saying, look at Jesus Christ. Look at how Jesus leads. Look at his patience, his gentleness. He does not always insist on his own way. He is not boastful. He's not proud. He's not rude. For you men, make it your vision to grow in Christ so that you lead the way that Christ leads. Now here's a summary of this point. 
up, up to now. What you get here is two sides of one gospel dynamic in marriage. Two sides of the coin. Husbands love their wives in the pattern of Christ. And on the other side of the coin, wives submit to their husbands. Now that to submit, that means that she affirms that God has called her husband to this role of loving leadership. Wives, it means that you recognize and affirm that your husband has a role of loving leadership in your relationship. Now why? We, fair question, why? Is it because he's smarter? Is it because he, he's better gifted? Is it because he's a, a more natural leader? Nope. Those are not the reasons. It's not the reasons given here in this passage. Let's be honest as well for a moment. Many women are smarter and they have more common sense and they're better natural leaders than the man they're married to. And I know that because that's my own marriage. Okay? So why? Why submit? What does the text say? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. It's fitting. It's fitting in this sense, in the design of marriage that God designed. Listen to Ephesians 5. It expands on the idea that you get here in Colossians. Ephesians 5 says, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's the design. God designed that every Christian marriage ought to display the love and care and leadership that Christ demonstrates for the church. That every Christian marriage point to the love of Christ and the way the church responds to Christ. That's the design. For wives, here's one application. I've I've given most applications to, to husbands in this section. But for wives, application. Somehow, in your own words, communicate to your husband, I want you to be the leader in our marriage. Don't say that during an argument, okay? Pick a neutral time to say an unhurried conversation. Our culture has taken that role away from him. As Christian wives, you have incredible power to give that role back to him. I invite you to do that and see what it does in his heart. You may be surprised by what happens in his heart when you communicate that to him. Another application, this is for single women. I know that all of this is really hard to hear. You want to be married. You're waiting for a Christian man. And you're frustrated. From this text, I want to say that marriage is in the Lord. 
That's not from my word. That's the word of God. It will not serve your growth in Christ to go outside of that pattern and to marry a non-Christian husband. It won't. It will hinder your knowledge of Christ and your walk with Christ. Marriage is a blessing in many ways. It is not the ultimate good. It's not. Jesus Christ is the ultimate good. And he is yours now. That doesn't mean it's easy. But it is true. Now I've been long on the first point. Let's spend time looking at the second point. Child raising in Christ. Let's return again to the ancient world. Many household codes in the culture of the ancient world called for fathers to rule their children, govern their children, control your children. And the Colossian church is made up of families who come from from this culture. That's their baseline. Now, the gospel comes into this city, Colossae. It's good news. Jesus Christ himself and the love of God come into the world in Christ. But let's add a layer to the love. It's loving authority. During his ministry, Jesus astonished crowds because he spoke with authority that was unlike any teacher they ever heard. Jesus' authority led him into constant conflict with the religious establishment because he didn't bow to their authority. He spoke and acted with an authority that was higher than theirs. And you see that, for example, when he walks right into the temple and flips the tables in the temple. This is my house, he says. You don't get to do whatever you want with my father's house. But in the most shocking way, here is ultimately how Jesus demonstrates and exercised his authority. In this way, he laid down his life and he died for those under his authority upon the cross. Now that gospel came into this ancient culture and what happened? How did it impact the view of family and of raising children? And it's here. You see it in this text. You see the impact in these words. Children, obey your parents. And right away, this is different. I mean, Paul speaks to the kids. No other household code in the ancient world spoke to the children. They just said, fathers, control your kids, subdue your kids. But here, when it comes to obedience, that is, that is given as a, a voluntary act for the children to do. Their children are addressed. Act this way, it says. It also says, children, obey your parents. Obey your mother, not just your father. Your mother has authority over you. What's more? It says, fathers, do not provoke your children 
and no other household code in the entire ancient world was concerned about restraining the father, restraining his privilege as the father to do whatever he wants. But that's what the gospel does. The gospel is the the loving authority of God. And when when that penetrates the heart of a parent, it changes how that parent relates to children, how they exercise discipline. It does. Do not provoke your children. It means discipline them wisely and shape them and teach them in love. Shape their character. Don't discipline them in a way that causes them to rebel more and more. Here's what you see in this text. You see the gospel enter into the ancient culture and redeem it. And, and that iron fist of authoritarian parenting, it becomes parenting in the shape of the loving authority of God. Now, all that sounds fine to us today. I want to ask this question. Is there a countercultural word for us today in this text? And there is, but you have to look carefully to see it. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Okay, that makes sense, right? Parenting is a mutual task, both involved, both parents have authority, right? Next verse, fathers, do not provoke your children. Notice the shift. Did you hear it? Fathers, when the word of God addresses a parental figure about the responsibility of discipline and shaping a child, molding a child, it addresses fathers. It doesn't say parents, not in this verse. There's another word for parents. Actually, Paul just used it the verse before. Now, of course, of course, shaping children is a mutual task. Of course it is. But I want to ask this. Where does the buck stop? Who has the final responsibility at the end of the day for how it is in your household, for the state of affairs in your household, in your children? Fathers, it's you. It's you. I would remind you, these are not my words. This is the word of God. And the word of God recognizes the authority of both parents. And in the very next breath, it recognizes that fathers have unique responsibility. And we need this vision today. In our, yes, we do. In our 21st century culture, we need this vision because... Here's why. Where there are absent husbands, there are absent fathers. Sociologists who research this call it the male problematic. That is the tendency for fathers to live away from their children for long periods of time. And and this, this cuts across every demographic and socioeconomic. Some absent fathers, of course, 
physically leave the family. But many more absent fathers live under the same roof as their kids, and they don't have time for their kids. They make money, and they assume that that's their job done. They're too focused on work to make kids a priority, or they're they're too focused on hobbies to make the kids a priority. Absent fathers living at home. Fathers, I say to you that in God's design of marriage and family, you have a role of responsible leadership. It's your role to embrace or neglect. I can't do it for you. But here's the fact. Shaping a human life is the most awesome and the most important thing that you will ever do. It's more important than climbing the ladder. It's certainly more important than your hobbies. God is calling you to make your children, your marriage, your first priority. And you lay down your life for them as Christ lay down his. Fathers, I know for many of you, the woman in your life is reading books about how to raise kids and she's, she's visionary about raising the kids. She's reading articles. She's giving her energy and her time and her priority to the kids and that does not give you a pass. Oh, that's being taken care of. No, that doesn't give you a pass. And she's probably exhausted because she's pulling your role at the same time as doing her own. And that has got to change. Guys, I've been hard on you for this whole sermon, and there's a reason for that. It's because the leadership role is your role. And when there are problems, when there's problems, who takes the hit? It's the leader who takes the hit. I'm being tough on you because I want to put gravel in your guts and a fire in your bones to do this, to do this role, to step up, to love your wife and your children in this way. For the good of the whole church and for a witness to the world. That's the calling of this text. Now, if you're not a Christian, a lot of this may sound like it's from a different planet. But as a final word, I want to invite you to consider this. How is it that the gospel is so radically countercultural in our own day and in the ancient culture? Where did the gospel come from if it did not come from within any culture? Not one culture just receives the gospel and says, oh yes, we're already doing that. (laughs) No way. Where did the gospel come from? Consider. How is it, also, that the gospel can enter into any culture and without disrespect, without violence to the culture, redeem it? Redeem, beautifully redeem, these institutions, marriage, and family. And as you consider those questions, what are the implications 
for the possible truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ himself. I invite you to consider those questions as you reflect on what you heard today. And let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true and pure and holy. Help us to receive this word and consider it and take it to heart. We pray for families, for any absent fathers, absent husbands, Give them the grace to repent. We pray that we receive your word, lay it to heart, order the marriage relationships of our church by your word, O God. Order child raising in our church for the whole church, for every individual, and for your glory. We pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. We now have a time of Q&A, and I can imagine with a sermon like this, there's maybe many questions. Um, I'm Just to say from the outset, I'm not going to uh, be able to answer all of them in our time presently. If I don't answer your, your question, I still want to interact with your question. Would you um, e- send me an email if I don't answer your question? It's just Jeff at gracetoronto.ca and I'd be very glad to interact with you. This is a very important topic. So, uh, let's see. A couple... Okay. Okay. Question. What do you have to say to strong women with leadership qualities, either single or married? That's a wonderful question. Thank you the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm married to one, right? Um, so what do, what do I say? This is the personal question. Um, you know what's unfair? What's unfair is when a woman in her household, because she is so strong, because she has, has, is a, a better natural leader, um, she, she does way more. Um, I mean, and, and, and like feels the weight that is meant to be a shared weight. I think what's unfair is when Father's Day comes around and a lot of men who are are functionally absent fathers who just make money um, get get cards that say, oh, you're you're an amazing, you're an amazing dad, you're doing doing so great. But he's not doing great. He's not. We we have a double standard in our culture. We do. Um, The within households, what is kind of expected in our culture of, of, of wives, of mothers, is, is huge. And meanwhile, there's, there's a sense within our culture that 
a man who is, who's just kind of making money there, um, and not doing a lot else. There's kind of an acceptance of that. Um, so that's what I'd have to say. There's a, there's a double standard. And I, w- I would say to strong women um, who have like natural gifts, natural drive, natural vision, um, yeah, because this is personal in, in my experience. Um, the guy starts making, making oh, that's, that's being taken care of. I don't need to do that. You know, I can work on my golf handicap and whatever, right? And it's un- unjust. It's unjust. And long term, that's, that's a marriage that's headed for problems. Yeah. Thanks for the question. How does the command, children, obey your parents in everything, apply to young adults amid a parent-child disagreement? Should we obey our parents' directives so long as they aren't inherently sinful? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, And here we get into, there's, of, of course, a disparity between our culture and the ancient culture, and this is written uh, within an ancient culture. So I read recently in um, a book titled Shepherding a Child's Heart, and there was um, a diagram there that showed uh, two dynamics. So this, um, along the bottom is time, like, like age of the kids, and then on the starting at, at very low, starting at nothing, is influence. And the other, and which goes up over time. The other line uh, is authority, or not authority, kind of um, commanding, making it so, right? And that, that starts at the top. For a newborn, as a parent, you're going to, Decide everything for your kids. What they wear, what they write, everything, everything. What they eat. Uh, and that's going to that's gonna do this over time. It, it, it stops becoming appropriate to tell your kids what to wear every day, right? Over time. So influence is going up over time. Um, the command kind of actions are, are going, are, are decreasing over time. Um, so then, that's, that's some background as we think about this dynamic. Because um, within our culture, young people and youth, I mean, go away to university, right? And they're not living under the same roof. And we have this kind of long runway into, into like, independent adult life. So how to navigate that is challenging. It, it is. It's not... There's no... There's no... Um, like direct word, do it this way um, in every, every situation. The text that we have in front of us says, um, fathers, do not provoke your children. So as, as parents relate to their maturing children, their, their, their teenage, their young adult children, um, don't, don't provoke them. Um, I have to say this so delicately or so carefully, which I'm 
shooting from the hip right now. And it, um, but to, to provoke, it, it can also be translated to don't embitter your children. Don't, don't exercise a kind of domineering authority when they are gaining independence in, in, in many ways. Um, parents exercise wisdom. And I, and I would say to children also, um, just because you have a driver's license and you've spent some time living in, in undergrad and in, in residence uh, doesn't mean that you don't need your parents' wisdom anymore, right? They, they've lived a lot more years than you and they have a lot of life experience and you'd be very foolish to write that off and to ignore them. Okay. Um, right, 11.37. I should stop there. Um, if I didn't get to a bunch of questions, um, would, would you email me? I would really welcome it to interact with you um, over, over email and your questions. So I'm going to, at this point, invite Kingsley to uh, come up and lead us in the time of reflection.